Knowing the headlines isn't always enough. Sometimes you need to talk about it. For stimulating conversation on the day's hot topics, this is your station. This is your show, The Ryan Jesperson Show, on 630 Chad, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. We knew we'd get a big response to Dr. Christina Stasia's appearance, the gender equity consultant, prompting several emails, as well as a ton of text messages. Brian, into uh, 630Ched.com, the email link says, uh, My wife is going to be staying home when we have our upcoming child. I highly respect the role of a full-time parent. Additionally, she'll be completing her doctorate across the following few years. Is, Is that considered inequality? Brian says, I'd really enjoy being home, but, you know, this will help out our entire family when she re-enters the workforce. Donna is a senior piping designer that listens to the show. Says, I love your show. It keeps me from going crazy at work. Donna, good to hear, and thanks for streaming Chad in the workplace. She says, uh, regarding the women in management topic, she says, I get it. And it sounds all good and dandy, but people don't listen, and, and quite frankly, people don't want to change. There are women I know that are amazing at their jobs, and, and they would run the show fabulously, but I see it all the time. Others in the industry see it as bitchiness. No one wants to be bossed around by a woman, even if they're better at the job. They don't. She says, I see some men, not all. She says, there are amazing men out there for sure. But some of them are are lazy and they procrastinate. She says, oh, did I say lazy? She says, but you know, they stay in a position forever and and nobody does anything about it. Do I say anything? No. Because you're bitchy if you do. And she says, and I need to keep a paycheck first and foremost. And she says, and then you get to the point where you end up not caring at all. Donna says, I work hard. I do my job. I help others. But will I push for a management position? Nah. The hassles drive me crazy. The reward's not so worth it. She says, eventually, I'll quit. The whole roller coaster, you know, I'll I'll get off because of these procrastinators and lazy people because I won't be able to handle it anymore. Donna signs off asking, why strive to climb a ladder when you're always squished and pushed down? You can be in touch with us anytime. We'll get to more of your comments in hours and days to come. But there's no way I'm going to keep Senator Doug Black waiting. Fresh off the heels of an address to the Rotary Club of Calgary just last night. Senator, good morning to you. Well, nice to hear your voice again, and it's great to be back on this show, because I know how many hundreds of thousands of Albertans listen to you. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. You know, and and, and that means a lot, Senator. Maybe it's because we try to explore ideas and some of the, the, uh, you know, uh, we have to admit from time to time we venture into the great abyss to try to achieve answers or understanding we don't currently possess. And I think that was kind of part of your goal last night, wasn't it? To talk about where does Alberta go from here? That is exactly what I'm undertaking. Uh, let's let's start with out two or three months. I'm partnering with the University of Alberta, the business school there, to bring together what let's let's call it 50, 60 Albertans from across all sectors, not-for-profit, profit, post-secondaries, trade schools, the gambit, to talk about how do we build a more robust and resilient Alberta. We are in a world of trouble in this province today. It's not going to get better soon. We've got to be looking to develop other off-ramps for our economy. Ryan, principally around innovation, and I have some ideas about what I think we need to do here, and I want to engage Albertans broadly on this conversation to ensure our prosperity is maintained because we are in a rough spot right now. 
I understand that you you posed a, what I'm assuming was a rhetorical question last night, and that is, is there any other country in the world that would not ensure access to export markets for its products? And I stand by that. I am telling you, not even North Korea would not be working overtime to ensure whatever they produce is able to be sold. We have a tremendous resource in Alberta oil, and we cannot seem to get it to any other market other than the U.S. And this is completely unacceptable for Alberta and completely unacceptable for Canada. So we have got to, um, we've got to do whatever it now takes to encourage Canadians and our leaders to understand that this must be done. Energy East must be approved. Trans Mountain must be approved. Because if not, Canada is going to pay a major price. There's no other country in the world that wouldn't work overtime to get their exports out. So what are we thinking about? What are we doing? So what are we thinking? And what are we doing? Well, we're spending a lot of time about being tremendous citizens around climate change, which is important, and around carbon taxes, which are important. I was the first federal conservative politician last year to say we need some kind of reasonable carbon tax uh, because it's the right thing to do, and also it would develop, in theory, credibility with others. I'm telling you, we have done enough now. What we need to do is we need to say we have done our bit here. We have done our bit for Canada for decades And now, Canada, we need you to do your bit. We need these pipelines approved. So I continue to be extremely aggressive on that point with my colleagues, with other governments, continuing to speak outside of Alberta. But here at home, we need to make sure that as we tend to move towards an off-carbon environment, which we will over a number of decades, we've got to be ready to go. We've got to be ready to go in medical research and agriculture research and innovation in uh, nanotechnology and in the the things that the world's going to need and we can develop here in Alberta. But it's not going to happen, Ryan, by accident. It's going to happen because we intend to make it happen. And I'm hoping that I can play some small role in helping to bring folks together, including yourself and your listeners, to try and uh, outline the five, three to five steps that we need to now take in Alberta to ensure that we're going to be competitive going forward in areas including energy, but other than energy as well. Let's talk about those three to five steps. What's number one? Number one, I think it's all around innovation now, and I think it's building on our strengths. Now let's look at Edmonton. Edmonton has a leading, a world-leading medical complex, which we are not properly levering globally. At the University of Alberta, I'm told they're world leaders in nanotechnology, which don't ask me to explain it, Ryan, but I'm told it is really important. We need to back that horse because I am told that that is going to be a significant uh, influencer in the world, in the same way the Internet was 30 years or so ago, so I'm told. Let's look at Edmonton Airport. We have spent tremendous money at YEG, and we have a tremendous asset there. But let's develop a business plan that allows us to absolutely own logistics in northern Canada and the northern part of the globe. We can do this, but we can only do it if we make a plan to pursue it. So those are two examples from from Edmonton. 
in Calgary and in Lethbridge. There's also very good examples of places that we have a little bit of a lead on the world. So I'm saying we just need to drive that lead. I'm saying that the Alberta government needs to invest a billion dollars in innovation in this province, starting, I mean, they're investing money now. I'm talking new money. I know people are going to say, Doug, we don't have it. And I agree, we don't have it. But I'm saying we have to find it because this is an opportunity we have and we've got to drive it. We need to ensure we maintain our Alberta tax advantage. We're losing it. We need to strip regulation out of our economy. We are over-regulated. I found in my research there's actually a regulation at Alberta Health Services that you cannot paint a wooden ladder. Now, Ryan, what do you do with that? What you do is you eliminate it. And I, in the Senate, I proposed a bill, which is now the law in Canada, that every new regulation that comes in, one must be taken off the books. I'm saying in Alberta, for every new regulation that comes in, three should be taken off the books because we're over-regulated and it's a block to innovation. We need to, you know, be doing that. I'm suggesting creating an innovation prize annually. I'm suggesting bringing all the various innovation councils in Alberta together. We have five or six, and they're doing fabulous work. But we need one. We need focus. We need direction. We need some discipline around this. Or else we are going to watch the parade go by. That's what's going to happen here, and I, I worry a lot about it. Senator Doug Black, our guest, I want to circle back to your assertion that Alberta needs to maintain its tax advantage. Now, as a taxpayer, uh, Senator, I wholeheartedly agree with you, but those in government would suggest that right now it's just not realistic to cut back on the revenue side of things as expectations continue to rise on the spending side. How would you answer that objection? I would say I understand that. I mean, I understand that, but I'm saying... That is a today issue, and I'm trying to have people focus on what tomorrow looks like. And while, listen, I know it is highly unpopular at this moment in time, I urged last night, and I'm urging now, let's have a conversation driven by the head, not the heart, on whether we should have a small value-added tax here in Alberta. So we're taxing consumption, not income. And I think I don't have a position on that, but I'm saying... We need to think about this because we need revenue. We cannot tax corporations and you and I anymore in this province. Uh, It's an advantage that we've enjoyed. We need to have a North American tax advantage. So we need to think this through very, very carefully uh, because you're right. I don't want to see services cut. I mean, we need education. We need health care. We need our prisons and our roads. But by the same token, if you start charging Albertans more tax, People will leave this jurisdiction, and people will elect not to come to this jurisdiction. And some of the people that we need the most are the people that pay attention to tax. So it's time, I think, for a very open conversation about how is it that we generate the revenue we need, and part of that conversation needs to be, do we have a small uh, value-added tax? Senator... Would you believe me if I told you that we have 15 text messages about paint on ladders? 
I'm, I'm not even kidding you. Guido, Guido's listening in from Camrose says OH&S legislation doesn't allow wooden ladders to be painted because of safety issues like hiding cracks in the ladder. And Will in Blue Quill, uh, among those who have chimed in, says a wooden ladder is considered electrically insulated, nicely painted. It loses that insulation quality. We've just well, learned something. Well, and, and I appreciate that because I didn't know that. So maybe I'll say that's not one of the first regulations. <laughs> we can find another go. one to get rid of. But I, th- I think I'll keep it on my list of a top 100. Though. Good stuff. Senator Doug Black is our guest. Senator, I'll, I'll ask you to hang tight just for a second. We'll fit in a quick break. When we come back, I want to ask about this spring conference that's coming up, Alberta 2.0. The senator partnering up with the U of A Business School on that. Plus... It's probably the elephant in the room. We haven't gone there yet, but a conservative senator, a liberal majority government. And don't forget that Justin Trudeau, prior to October 19th, Election Day, essentially disavowed liberal senators, said you've got to leave your allegiance behind. There's no such thing as a liberal senator anymore. So what's the dynamic like in Canada's upper chamber? That's what we'll ask Senator Doug Black as soon as we're back. They call it Canada's Red Chamber, the Senate. And many senators have been waiting for details of the Trudeau government's plan to transform their parliamentary chamber. They want to know why there's no government leader in the Senate. Some conservative senators have gone so far as to say now that the days without an opportunity to question government are into double digits, the Prime Minister's approach to the Senate is actually subverting democracy. Senator Doug Black out of Alberta is our guest on the program this morning. Senator, thanks for holding. What's your take on the dynamic in the Senate and, of course, your take on how the Prime Minister's performing in that context thus far? You bet. Well, first of all, as an elected senator from Alberta, I've always had a little bit different point of view because I've always felt my allegiance is to Albertans, not to whomever the Prime Minister of the day may be. So I've always acted in a way which I think has been very independent and very transparent from day one. To your question, I've been there three years now. I'm coming into starting my fourth year. The Senate, to my view, is acting better today than it has at any other time that I've been there. A lot of the partisanship, it was intensely partisan leading into, leading into the election, um, has dissipated. The senators are there doing what we understand our job is, which is to try and do the very best we can for Canada. And a lot of that had fallen away because of partisanship. It's pretty much dissipated in the short term. And I think it will continue to do so. Now, in terms of the point that you made in your lead-in, that, you know, we don't have question period in the Senate anymore. We don't. I thought it was a complete and total waste of time because you had set questions answered by set answers. Now what we do is every Wednesday we summon, which is the word which is used, we summon one of the federal cabinet ministers to the Senate. And he comes and sits in the well of the Senate, or she comes, and we have 30 to 45 minutes straight-on questions with the minister involved. The minister has no aides with him. He or she is there to answer the questions of senators on whatever the issues are. So last week we had the Minister of Defense. 
The week before that, we had the Minister of Foreign Affairs. The week before that, we had the Minister of Fisheries, where I had an opportunity to ask around what are we doing about the moratorium on the West Coast. This is a tremendous step up, and uh, I think we're going to see continued steps where the senators indicate that we are here to be relevant. We're not going to be clamped down by leadership, and we're going to do the job that Canadians want us to do. So, Brian, my own view is better days are ahead. Hmm. I've got an interesting comment here. I suppose it's a question uh, from Tim, who's listening in from Drayton Valley. He says, please ask the good senator if perhaps we should repeal the thousands of pages of tax law that bogs and complicates our system. He says there's probably a billion dollars worth of savings in the red tape, cutting time saved in wages that wouldn't be required. He says, additionally, we wouldn't have to add any taxes that way. Talk about low-hanging fruit. He says this is common sense based and it would produce immediate results. Wants to know your thoughts. I agree completely with Tim. Our tax, I mean, we're coming up to tax time again. I mean, who can figure it out anymore? Like, let's get simple about this. It does not need to be complicated, as complicated as it is, and there are ways to do it. But rather than continuing to add layers of complexity, I agree with Tim. We need to take an axe to it and make it simple. We need revenue. We all get it. We've got to have revenue. But there are simpler ways to get revenue than all of the... Uh, rules and regulations that exist now. I mean, I, honest to God, I look at the tax, and I'm sure your listeners are the same way. I look at it. Then I look at sitting down to figure out how I file my taxes. i got to get help. Not that I, you know, I make that much money. What I make is completely public. But my God, man, it's too complicated. And it doesn't need to be that complicated. So I'm, I'm with Tim, and I, that would be a doggone good place to start in terms of regulatory clean-out. I'm the guy in the commercial. I, I, I hand over a manila envelope stuffed to the gills, to totally. an accountant, and say, you do it okay. for me. Uh, another listener here says, why wouldn't the Alberta government just spend some infrastructure money, build a business park for new environmental technology companies, give them a free lease for 10 years or something like that? It would provide great jobs, maybe enable technology we need for the oil sector, build a new sector of business in Alberta to diversify our economy. Now, there is a pretty grand research park in South Edmonton, so maybe some of the foundational elements are there. But when you talk about diversifying. You're not just talking about the energy industry, though, oh, are gosh, you? No. Oh, gosh, no. I'm talking about health care. I'm talking about agriculture. I'm talking about forestry. I'm talking about exporting education. We have a great education system. could be better, but we have a great system. We should be ex- exporting some of this. I'm talking about broadening our economy to ensure that we can not be so dependent on uh, the energy industry. That's not to say that it's not always going to be number one, but uh, we've got to be looking at other stuff. So I, I, I agree with your listener. We have these assets all over Alberta, but they're acting in silos, and we need to break all that down, bring them together, give somebody the authority to run it, and uh, fund it, and let's get after it. But, you know, like I said earlier, we need to focus on what it is we want to do. I mean, if if the world is already building enough airplanes, then Alberta should not be building airplanes. We just should not be doing that. But as I've suggested, if the University of Alberta has a leg up on nanotechnology, we need to back that horse. Absolutely. And there will be four or five potential technologies we need to get behind. You so served this up. Senator, I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm running out of time here. You served this up for me on a silver platter when you talk about building airplanes. Should Canada be investing in Bombardier? Uh, my view is no. 
My view is that Canada should be investing in the technologies and the innovation that goes into aeroplanes or trains or whatever, but we should be investing in the organizations that fund innovation and support innovation. But I personally do not believe that the government of Canada should be taking an ownership position in a private company, let alone a private company with a share structure that uh, is completely controlled by the Bombardier family. Not what I would do, not what I would do at all, and certainly not what I would do when we're facing 100,000 unemployed people in Alberta. Senator, you're working with the U of A Business School on on a conference coming up this spring titled Alberta 2.0. What's this all about? Well, this is what I want. I want to bring together in conjunction with the leaders, University of Alberta Business School, folks to sit down and say, okay, how do we achieve Alberta 2.0? What is it we need to do around innovation, around tax, around regulation to ensure that we can start to, frankly, diversify is an overused word but that we can start to build a more robust and resilient economy here in Alberta. And, you know, we can't expect the government to do it. We can't expect U of A to do it. What we need to do is we need to bring all of the interests in Alberta together and try and do it. Senator, every time you're on the show, our text line starts smoking, and that's exactly what it's doing right now. I want to thank you for getting us thinking and and really appreciate your time. Well, and I want to thank you and your listeners, because I can't do my job without your support. So thanks a lot. You bet. Senator okay. Doug Black, an elected senator uh, representing the province of Alberta out of Calgary. And he, uh, well, you can follow him on Twitter at Doug Black AB, And he's actually quite active there. And it's him uh, that's typing at least the majority of the tweets. And so if you'd like to make contact with him directly, you can do that via Twitter or Doug Black dot ca when we come back we'll leave some time for your reactions to what you heard but we're also going to check in with markham hislop he publishes the american energy news a bit of a unique position for markham he's actually gone on the record you know the alberta government's looking into who they give access to press wise you remember we've covered this in past after the rebel was shut out temporarily well markham says that reporting agencies like his shouldn't be allowed in. We'll ask him why on earth that's his take, plus what he found after talking to legal experts about Quebec seeking an injunction against Energy East. That's coming up next. Very interesting comments following our conversation with Doug Black, the Alberta senator. Listener says, whenever I hear the word diversify, I think about the newspapers that millennials and smartphone users aren't buying. Interesting. Smartphone users are still using newspapers, apps, though. The unfortunate thing about the newspaper business is that it has the word paper in the name of what they do. So even even if you talk about a little bit more abstract, people will say print media. Well, print. Pretty soon nothing will be print. But that doesn't mean that quote-unquote newspapers will cease to exist. Now, maybe we'll need to call them news entities or reporting agencies or whatever they call them. But I don't buy that newspapers are just going to disappear. The paper part, maybe. They're on life support right now. That's not a secret. But I don't buy that millennials have no use for informed, accountable press. And what a lead-in for our next guest. Markham Hislop is the publisher of the American Energy News. You can read his work at theamericanenergynews.com. Joining us over the phone this morning. Hi, Markham. 
Hi, Ryan. How are you this morning? Uh, doing very well, thanks. That whole conversation about newspapers and media and who's legitimate and who's not, as you know very well, flared up down at the Alberta legislature a couple of weeks ago when the NDP government, for a brief time, decided to shut out the conservative website, The Rebel. So people protested and the government reversed its position and then said, we're hiring former Canadian press employee, longtime respected journalist Heather Boyd, to conduct an investigation for us, an inquiry into who should be accredited and who should not. And you have planted your flag on very unusual territory. I have indeed, sir. I have indeed. Uh, I actually was interviewed by Ms. Boyd late last week, and she tells me that I am the only journalist in Canada that opposes Rebel Media's accreditation by the Alberta government. The only one. So she says. She's not finished her interviews yet. She may find a, a stray journalist someplace who agrees with me, but uh, thus far I have planted my flag on that position. Now, if yeah. you oppose the rebels' access, don't you oppose your own? Let me, let me back up a little bit and give you some background here. The issue uh, around that brought this to everyone's attention is about was a, a lockup, a situation with a legislature, uh, a lockup in the legislature, and those kinds of accreditation are usually handled by the legislature press gallery. Now, I'm not, I've never been a ledge reporter, so I'm not, I can't speak to that process, but when I started the Beacon News in 2008, and so I've been an online journalist since then, I've been accredited, basically been vetted, by governments all over North America, Alberta, B.C., Ontario, very, uh, Texas, Texas Railroad Commission, various businesses, organizations. And what that means is, because I'm not the National Post, I'm not the Calgary Herald or the Edmonton Journal, I'm, people aren't familiar with my work. So what they would do is, before I got, <clears throat> I was admitted to a media event or allowed to sit in on a uh, teleconference, let's say, and ask questions of of the uh, the politician or whoever is being interviewed, they would they would have some very basic questions: Who are you? What's your background? How many readers do you have? Uh, then they would go into the website and check my work to make sure I was in fact a journalist. And uh, almost every time, I was accredited and allowed to participate. The only one that ever turned me down was Alice Cooper. And I think that's because his manager really figured out pretty quick that all I wanted was free tickets to the concert. So everybody else, including the Alberta government and many of its agencies, uh, accredited me after vetting my work. And that's, that's really different from what other journalists go through, because the Calgary Herald or the Edmonton Journal have been accredited for years, I mean decades. And when they walk in the door of the legislature or a media event with their credentials around their neck, they don't have to be vetted or reviewed because by virtue of belonging to that media organization, they're already granted accreditation. So my experience is more akin to Rebel Media and Ezra Levant than mainstream media sources, who are the ones who have been supporting Ezra at this point. And so I, since I had to go through all of that vetting and media accreditation, my point is, why does Ezra not? Why does Rebel Media not? 
let the government do its job. They have professionals. They can take a look and make a decision, just as they did with me. And then he abides by the process that we've all, that I've had to go through. Now, Markham, does it make sense to you, though, that, and in this case it's a government, but we can broaden or expand the conversation to ask simply, should the target of reporting or of, of a journalistic statement, an, an op-ed piece or whatever it may be, should the target of that focus be the one to determine who is accredited to evaluate it? I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me. There's a principle in public relations, uh, Ryan, that no source ever is required to talk to a, a journalist. That's You know, if I phone you up and ask you for an interview, you can politely decline or say no comment. That's that's your choice. So the gov- the source, whether it be business, nonprofit, or government, has has the ability to basically filter out who it will talk to and who it will not, and that's that's not going to change. The only thing that not accrediting rebel media and Ezra Levant would do is prevent them from attending media conferences and asking, excuse me, asking questions. And they're, they, if they weren't granted accreditation, Ezra could still watch the uh, the press conference on the live stream video, or listen later on to the audio file if the government puts that up as it usually does. So it's not like he's entirely he's not prevented from uh, doing any kind of commentary because he's not a he's not a news journalist. He's at very best. You could make a tenuous argument that he's a commentary journalist, and I disagree with that. How come? But he, he could basically do what everybody else does. He just can't ask, ask questions. Why do you disagree that he's, you would assert that he's not a commentary journalist? Ezra has made it very clear on his website, and in uh, there was a story that came out a, a few days ago that included a letter that he wrote to Michael Corrin, who he, uh, who he fired as a... He fired from Rebel Media, where Ezra says very clearly he's a political activist. And my concern here is uh, if you open up a government media conferences to political activists like Ezra, pretty soon you're going to have Greenpeace Media, Forest Ethics Media. You'll have every interest group that has any kind of an axe to grind creating a media site, and that will prevent serious journalists from doing their job. And, you know, some journalists say, hey, you know what, throw it open, throw it wide open, I don't care if we have 100 people in the room or 1,000 people in the room, and then simply set the standards for behavior. If you don't toe the line and abide by those standards, then you get thrown out. I think that's a mistake. I think that the government has every right to apply a filter to who attends government media conferences, and it should be based on the quality of your work. I say that's leave it way, up to the press the gallery. That's I was accredited. Why not Ezra? I say, I say leave it up to the press gallery. Let, let the peers decide. Don't let the government decide. That doesn't make sense to me. There should, there should be an arm's length between government and media, and, and government should never have a say, in my opinion, Markham, in the accreditation process. Because all of a sudden you can start in theory, and hopefully not ever in practice, dangling or threatening a withdrawal of accreditation if you don't like the press that you're getting. And government should never have that power. The the press gallery only accredits for press conferences that are in the legislature. Who then gets to decide 
about press conferences that are held in Calgary or Camrose or Lloydminster. Who decides about those? Who decides about there any there are any number of instances who decides about teleconferences who press conferences uh so you're asking a lot of the legislative uh, press gallery that I think is outside their jurisdiction and I don't think they have the resources to do it and I think that if a government this is my opinion if a government were to stop accrediting an organization because it didn't agree with its with its uh, political stance or because it was criticized in some of its commentary there, the uh, firestorm that would likely follow that would probably provoke exactly the same response that we had this time, where the government backtracks. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't see that as being a serious issue uh, going forward, Ryan. In right. my in my humble opinion, sir. Uh, neither of our opinions are humble, Markham, but that's okay. We're talking to Markham Hislop, the publisher of the American Energy News, on the text line. Uh, is this is this Miranam, Alberta, or is the it, listener says, is this guy kidding? Public servants and elected representatives in government don't have to talk to any media or interviewer if they don't want to? Hey, Markham's right. They don't have to, but I'll tell you, we'll nail them to the wall for it. If you hear or if you read a reporter state that they've refused, you know, this newsmaker has refused comment. That's a very polite way of saying something else. Bill says government should not have a say. If they have a say, they'll only let the ones that agree with them ask questions. Another says, to me, it sounds like they're afraid of unscripted questions. But Markham, one listener says, you are the one journalist in the country that actually understands. There you go. There you go. Hey, I've got to fit in a quick break. When we come back, I'd like to talk to you about your conversation with Margot Young at at UBC's law faculty about this Quebec move to seek an injunction against Energy East. Are you good to comment on that? I am, sir. Okay, more with Markham Hislop right after this. You likely heard the news yesterday here on 630 Chet. As you know, the Quebec government, the provincial government, seeking an injunction in court against TransCanada over its proposed Energy East pipeline. Quebec's Environment Minister David Hurdle telling a news conference he wants to ensure the company complies with Quebec's environmental law. Markham Hislop joining us, publisher of the American Energy News. Markham, is this even allowed? I mean, does this even matter? Is this just a bunch of noise? I mean, why isn't this a federal jurisdiction? You and I have chatted about this uh, in the past, Ryan, uh, with respect to the, the BC experience. And it, uh, while there are a lot of parallels with BC, in this case there is a very important exception. And that is, in the, under the Canadian Constitution, the federal government gets to regulate and approve interprovincial pipelines. That's and. Uh, lesser or lower uh, levels of government, provincial and municipal, cannot do anything that uh, impedes the federal the federal authority or impairs the federal authority. It's called the principle of paramountcy. But within the Constitution, it's also the case that the responsibility for the environment is is roughly split between the federal government and the provinces. Now, in the BC case. The government there, the B.C. Liberals, chose to roll the provincial environmental review process into the federal one to create a one-window regulatory process. They did that voluntarily, and the government of Christy Clark has resisted calls by the B.C. NDP to revoke that and take it back. 
So a little different in B.C., and, and the West generally has tried to, the Western provinces have tried to make that process more efficient. But Ontario and Quebec have not done that, and they have retained their ability to do independent provincial environmental review processes, and that's what the Quebec environmental minister was referring to. And uh, the constitutional expert that I interviewed this morning, Margot Young from the UBC Law School, says that they have every right to do that, and it's not unusual. Really? Not unusual? Is it a play that you think will resonate? You think it'll be effective? Personally, I my take on this is that this is the equivalent of Christy Clark's five conditions for pipelines. Remember those? Uh, she had five, I can't remember all of them, but there there had to be a world class uh, oil spill cleanup regime. There had to be accommodation with First Nations, so on. So there were five conditions, and what? Clark did quite brilliantly, actually, from a political strategy point of view, is the five conditions allowed Clark to one day she could be a little pro-pipeline, the next day she could be a little anti-pipeline. It allowed her to skate in the middle uh, on a very, very contentious issue. And I think the Quebec government is going to do exactly the same with this, with this review process, because at the end of the day, even if the, the Quebec government says, or sorry, if, if the Quebec government says TransCanada and the Energies Pipeline failed our review process, the National Energy Board review process still remains paramount. But then how do you deal with the Quebec politics? Well, and the thing, though, is, Mark, I'm like, TransCanada's not even playing ball with Quebec, quite frankly, because it's not emboldened. It doesn't have to. It's not forced to. So Quebec, as far as I understand it, please correct me if I'm wrong, is going to carry out and go forward with this process lacking critical information. I mean, the whole thing appears to be a bit of a farce. It's a political exercise and nothing more. Am I wrong? According to Professor Young, uh, she doesn't agree with that interpretation. She, uh, she agrees with Quebec that, in fact, the provincial government has the right to force TransCanada to go through the review. And it may be a very good, uh, it, it may be the best thing, Ryan, that this goes to uh, get, is challenged in court and a, a judge rules on it. Then we'll have some clarity. Because at this point, clearly, uh, Professor Young and the legal team of TransCanada disagree. And we, we need to get that issue, I think, sorted out, and a, and a court of law is probably the best place to do it. I know you'll be elaborating on this in a column, uh, I'm assuming, posted in the next few hours at theamericanenergynews.com? That is correct, sir. Thanks for interrupting your creative process to talk to us, Markham. Always a pleasure, Ryan. Have a nice day. Yeah, you as well. That's Markham Hislop, publisher of the American Energy News. Uh, many of you strong opinions on what you've just heard, so we'll get to those right after this. Just don't. Just don't. Interesting take from Brad on the text line says, my fiance is a political journalist for the Kiev Post in Ukraine. Wow. He says they have an incredibly difficult time getting interviews with old guard politicians because many of them are so used to the Soviet system where not only were questions pre-approved by the interviewee, any final published article had to be approved by the interviewee before it could run. Can you imagine? 
says, I'm not so hyperbolic uh, as to suggest that Alberta is heading in a communist direction or that the government should have no right to control its message on a closed press conference. As he says, it's a far cry from controlling what's permitted to be published. But it does seem ironic, says Brad, that while some countries are working so hard to achieve the free press and transparent government, that other places seem to be stepping back from it. Interesting. Alex, along different lines, following our conversation with Markham Hislop, says, I'm honestly disgusted that Quebec has the gall to take our equalization payments and then turn around and block every attempt to get our oil to market. Logic that these people use completely befuddles me. Do they not understand that if we can't get our oil to market, that we can't make equalization payments? Alex says, every year we pay these taxes, this revenue to the government, and it goes to Quebec because they deliberately deficit their own power budget. I'm confused as to why this should be allowed to continue. He says, though I know I shouldn't be surprised. Another says Professor Young needs to be laid off. That's Margot Young that spoke with Markham, the constitutional lawyer, or the constitutional law expert anyway, the University of British Columbia. Many of you chiming in. Stephen says, why are we buying trains from Quebec, from Bombardier? They're going into Edmonton's transit system. I'm sure you know that by now. He says, and helping their economy while they purposely hurt ours. Stephen will just let that question float out there because it's one that you'll tear your hair out if you attempt to answer. Thanks for being part of the conversation today. We have been all over the map and back again. Thanks to our guests. It was a fast-moving show. Thanks to you for being part of the conversation. We've got a great show in store for tomorrow. Some of the pieces already in place I'm very excited for. Oilers now coming up. News in between. Make it a great Wednesday.